Hey everybody, thanks for listening, and as always, thanks to our sponsor, KnowledgeBand, the leader in human performance improvement training and technologies. If you want the most advanced safety technology adapted from the human performance principles of the nuclear and aviation industries, then KnowledgeBand is error reduction that works. They were the first company to tie human performance to serious injury and fatality or SIF precursors. Learn more at knowledgevine.com. In a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes cost much more than dollars, we bring you expertise from around the world to ensure that everyone goes home safe every day. The internationally acclaimed Oil & Gas HSE podcast starts now with your host, Russell Stewart. Today, my guest on the show is Dan Arthur. Actually, I should say my returning guest on the show is Dan Arthur. Dan, thanks for coming back. You're welcome. Glad to be here. Well, I guess it's been two or three weeks ago. You came on the show and we talked about the problems in the industry of dealing with produced water. I went back and listened to it. I don't think we came anywhere close to exhausting the subject, but maybe we maybe we, maybe we called attention to it. Maybe that was a success from that point of view. But we also, at the end of it, got to talking about, I guess, what are called abandoned and orphaned wells. And then not long after that, and let me just back up for those who didn't hear that podcast, you are the president and chief engineer of All Consulting. And as I said last time, you got more letters after your name than you do in your name. You're a professional engineer, I believe, SPEC, is that right? Yep. And that stands for, for people who didn't hear the first podcast. Yeah, so I'm a registered professional engineer in 35 states, a registered professional petroleum engineer, certified petroleum geologist, a fellow with the Geological Society and the National Association of Forensics Engineers, and and a number of other things, but that gets a lot of it. Well, there you go. So that's the reason we're in one of the top 10 oil and gas best podcasts to follow. We have this kind of quality of guests. So again, I appreciate you coming back on. But since that time, in fact, right after that, uh, you posted on LinkedIn that you're still the president chief engineer of all consulting, but you started a new position as vice president of well plugging initiatives at something called CSR Services LLC, is that right? That's correct. Yes. Okay, so let's talk about CSR for just a minute. Uh, last time I talked to you, I think you were in Arizona, right? Yep. And now you're back in uh, actually the home office of All Consulting's in Tulsa, I think, and that's where you are today. Correct. So, is it as hot in Tulsa as it is in Houston today? It's 100 degrees and like about a million percent humidity, so it's pretty warm. It's as hot as it is in Texas then. But a hot topic right now is this subject of abandoned wells, orphaned wells, plugging these wells. The Houston Chronicle just this month ran a uh, actually a three-part documentary on it in which you were quoted in that article. I think Bloomberg has come out this month with an article that I saw posted on LinkedIn. So it's summertime, it's hot, and this is a hot topic we're going to talk about today. So I'm going to kind of turn it over to you. I referenced the Houston Chronicle articles that you were quoted in, and somebody who posted that article, you responded in a comment. The Chronicle referred to uh, these wells. They said that they were wells that had mysteriously reanimated, and they were spewing a toxic mix of crude oil, salty water, and methane from holes that in some cases were drilled more than 50 years ago. 
And this particular, they were actually on a 22,000 acre property in West Texas that's got several hundred wells drilled on it. These wells that they say are mysteriously reanimated and spewing all this stuff, they call them zombie wells. Is that a good description? I'll tell you, so you touched on about 50 different things there. So, so let, well, good, then I don't have to say anything else. Get going. So let me say this is I did take on a position with CSR services. You know, CSR is run, uh, the president of CSR is a friend of mine called Charlie France, and they're doing uh, well servicing and well plugging primarily right now in the northeastern United States, a lot in Ohio, Pennsylvania, and so forth. And I'm helping them look for expanding that business model around the country. We've been very successful at that. They were recently awarded a $12.5 million contract to assist the state of Ohio in, in well plugging initiatives there and have just been doing a great job and are growing. And part of that is because, and I think really driven by initiatives through the IJA and the BIL and other things on kind of methane and emission reduction initiatives. There's a new program that EPA and DOE have started on that. I've been asked to serve as an expert in that program. And so we'll be working on that here over the next several weeks. And hopefully I'll have an announcement to make on that soon. But the issue of a lot of these old orphaned, idle, non-producing oil and gas wells, and even prior wells that have been plugged or maybe even converted to, say, water wells, which is part of the zombie well issue. A lot of them were plugged with historic practices and maybe not plugged with anticipating everything that would happen in the future from when those wells were plugged. And now some of them are creating issues, but we still have a lot of them that are just remain unplugged. You know, I took my two stepsons out this last weekend here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and in about an hour, we found a couple of dozen wells, many of which were in the Arkansas River, you know, within the Tulsa skyline. Some of them were in parks and just in neighborhoods. So this has been an issue, and we've seen instances of these wells emitting gas, contaminating groundwater, just being an overall issue. And if you look historically, there's a movie coming out, you know, about the Osage County development here in Oklahoma and the Osage Indians and, and things that happened there. But a lot of these wells, you can imagine in the early 1900s produced oil, they produced the oil, the wells were depressurized. And when they were plugged, many of them were plugged with brine or with mud or not plugged at all. You have wells that were, you know, during World War II when we needed steel to build tanks and jets and whatever. The federal government went into many of those wells extracting the steel casings so that they could repurpose them. And so then you had these wells in the middle of Pennsylvania or New York or Maryland or West Virginia that just were holes in the ground with no casings at all. So there's a broad story to this big picture with millions of wells across the country and throughout the world in reality that remain unplugged, many of which are emitting various gases, methane, maybe even H2S or other things. So it's certainly become more of a priority priority than it ever has been on that front. But I think that some of the other things that aren't anticipated is things like with groundwater contamination or groundwater surface water interaction. And Russell, it's really important to realize that 
you know, I used to work for the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, and I've worked with many state governments and so forth. And regulations are generally reactive. You know, even if you want to look now what people are doing, trying to react to the idea of global climate change, whether you are into that or not, but you have an issue happen and, and then you have reaction to it. So as you can imagine, before the fracking revolution, you know, we were talking about peak oil and People thought that oil and gas was done, and then it wasn't, suddenly. And then we needed to deal with a lot more water, and we had horizontal wells. And, you know, there's all these different interactions between new wells and historic wells and wells that maybe weren't plugged properly, and, and we're having to deal with a lot more water, which goes back into, you know, what I talked about on the last podcast. And the issue that got brought up with the zombie wells, and there's been another publication that suggested that, you know, tried to clarify that those zombie wells in West Texas is an example that I think, you know, were brought up, I think, a lot of attention from a lady called Sarah Stogner. And she has her particular views. But one of the things that has been done in Texas and many other states is old oil and gas wells that have reached our economic limit have been partially plugged. And the oil companies have allowed those to be converted to water supply wells, say for a rancher or farmer. And what we have sometimes is when those wells are converted or were converted, they weren't always necessarily plugged to anticipate, you know, other things that were happening in the industry. And then they become charged and they have problems and so forth. So there can be any number of things that happen with these wells. So to me, you know, I want to do everything I can to take the wells that are out there that don't have an owner and do what I can to get those wells permanently plugged and abandoned, whether or not they're viewed as, as presenting a critical environmental danger, but also to be looking at and incentivize companies that have non-producing wells that may not have a real economic future to also get those plugged. And as part of that, you know, I've been working with groups like the Well Done Foundation, we're currently a verification validation third-party consultant to a carbon registry called B-Carbon that as you plug those and eliminate those methane emissions, you can get carbon credits for that to hopefully incentivize and help in assisting that. And as I mentioned, we're also working for groups like the U.S. Department of Energy's National Energy Technology Laboratory, the Groundwater Protection Council, and others to help everyone we can to do a good job at this. So everybody listening here, I don't know how familiar everyone is, and you may have some folks that are experts in this arena, but it's not an uncomplicated issue. Well, you're certainly an expert in this thing. So if I understand it correctly, and if I can differentiate between abandoned, orphaned, and zombie, zombie has to do with the wells that were repurposed of water wells, Abandoned wells are those that aren't producing right now, but there is an operator or owner assigned to them. And then you have the ones that are called orphaned wells, and there is no owner or operator assigned to them. Is that a pretty good differentiation there? Let me say that a little different way and in a different order. So orphan wells are generally those that have been abandoned. They're non-producing. They have no operator. The operators have been bankrupt. They're gone, whatever. We have orphan wells from the 1800s in our country and ones that have been orphaned more recently from companies, say, going bankrupt. The second category that you have is idle wells. 
And idle wells are wells that are, say, non-producing, and they could be idle or even temporarily abandoned, but they could be put back on production. And those have an operator, but you get in some areas, operators may have thousands of non-producing wells, and there's a fear that depending on what happens in the market, that that particular operator may go bankrupt, and those wells may ultimately be changed over to the orphan category. So that's a concern. And then when we talk about zombie wells, I certainly didn't come up with the zombie name, and I know that it's kind of cute, I suppose. But these are wells that are either have been plugged or partially plugged, but may be leaking. So I'm going to say maybe, oh, a decade ago, Alberta and a number of the Canadians went around, and I give them credit for this, but went to a lot of their plugged wells you know, throughout the province and found that many of them were leaking. And in the work that I've done, I've seen some of that same thing here in the United States where we have plugged wells that are leaking methane or where the plugs have maybe failed or casings have corroded and are simply not functioning as you might anticipate that they would. They just things weren't anticipated. You know, you plug a well in 1910 or 1920 or 40 or whatever before there were even plugging regulations. And you look at the technology that was available, a lot of the industry standards at that point, you know, that were published suggested doing things like using tree stumps and pieces and wood and other things. And that's pretty good for a while. But a lot of times, you know, you put those casings, those wells into different environments and things change over time. Maybe there's, you know, new development around it, water disposal into different formations and so forth. Sometimes those wells can turn into, you know, can start flowing in, you know, flowing to the surface, flowing into groundwater aquifers, flowing into surface waters and they would call those zombie wells. So they're kind of a category, what I would say, of plugged or partially plugged wells. Okay. Admittedly, it is a big problem. Are there economical ways to address the problem? So there's really a a tremendous opportunity right now in a number of areas. So, you know, so here a little later, mid next month, I'm doing a webinar for the American Association of Petroleum Geologists looking at the economic or ethical considerations with idle and orphan well plugings. And some of the things I would say that you want to consider in there is one, we have a lot of federal funding that should, you know, make a significant dent in this problem that we have. But there's been, there is and has been considerable state funding, you know, orphan idle well funds from different states, Texas, Oklahoma, et cetera. And then you have different organizations where industry actually, you know, will We'll put money in based on hydrocarbons produced to go and either plug wells or restore surface areas where there's been oil and gas development. So there's been a lot going on within this. But I think what we are seeing is that the problem is much bigger than the historic programs have allowed. And there just hasn't been a lot of development in the regulatory processes. But the other thing that's really happening now that I believe is helping to be an incentive is the idea of carbon credits. And some of the wells can, uh, by plugging and abandoning them permanently, can, if nothing else, assist or reduce the overall plugging costs by generation of credits. And some of them can cover all of the plugging costs. And depending on the wells that are at issue, they you might be able to go plug wells and actually make a profit at it. So 
I think that those sorts of things are creating incentives that we're seeing are initiating an increase in wall plugging. So what you're going to see, Russell, and what you're already seeing is companies that are putting a focus as well plugging being their business, where historically that has just not been a super profitable endeavor from a business perspective. Going back to these credits, can you expand upon that just a little bit? But I've interviewed folks and one of my pet sayings that isn't always welcomed by all folks. I uh, ran it by a methane emissions conference that I was actually moderating a panel I said that, you know, the oil and gas industry is not the problem with the environment. It's going to be the solution to the environment. And we've got all kinds of new technologies and ways. They are actually, and this is to me, and of course at OGGN, we're huge advocates of the oil and gas industry. The oil and gas industry, they have ways, they're going to figure out how to tackle this problem. And as you said, figure out ways to even, you know, make profits from it. You want to talk about that a little bit? So it's really such an expansive issue. And one of the things that I believe very firmly is that you have, from what I see, is you have organizations that are saying, okay, there's nothing wrong or everything's wrong. But then you have companies that are, we just want to plug the wells to get carbon credits or get paid by federal funds or state funds or whatever. And the approach that I'm really pursuing is that in some cases that may, you know, just plugging the wells may be the most appropriate thing to do. But one of the other things that a number of organizations are really looking at, like we've been working a little bit with the University of Oklahoma and other groups on the option of repurposing wells. So if you look at the things that are going on in this whole kind of movement that's going on, we're looking at needing more lithium. You know, we're looking at different energy opportunities. And so recently, Exxon purchased a large acreage play in lower Arkansas for lithium mining out of the smackover. And the smackover formation was really the initial oil play in the state of Arkansas. But Arkansas yeah, on the map, it was big. Yeah, you had 50,000 barrel a day oil wells out of the smackover. I mean, it's crazy to even think about, but the smackover is largely played out there. There's a lot of old wells that are completed into the smackover. And I think there's a lot of those that could be repurposed to produce that brine for lithium extraction and maybe even reinjection back into the smack over so that we're instigating that and making, you know, beneficial use out of some of those older wells. There's other areas where I'm seeing even plugged wells being re-entered looking at geothermal energy development. So OU's done a project here in Oklahoma for exactly that where we're powering a school for with geothermal energy using orphan abandoned wells. So I think that we have some duties here to think about, you know, the resources we have. We have these old wells. A lot of them just need to be plugged. They're in bad shape. There's really not an upside, but we need to be looking at repurposing. And I would say in some cases, there are even old wells that have future potential. Uh, I have another friend of mine that had some undocumented wells that he knew about on a landowner's property. And they were completed, drilled and completed in the 1890s. We went in and cleaned them out. And the first one was producing 10 barrels of oil a day without hardly doing anything. So there's also some diamonds in the rough there, but it takes a lot of knowledge and history to really understand that and to be able to evaluate that. So, you know, what I'm hoping is that we don't rush into any one thing. And I certainly 
spent a lot of time on that Houston Chronicle article with the reporter Amanda Drain, helping her try to understand even what this stuff was, because it's complicated, Russell. And now we have a lot of people coming in here looking at this stuff. The experience level that we have at the size of the problem is it doesn't it doesn't really fit the need yet. So we've got a lot of training experience to gain. And I think we'll learn a lot through this. But, you know, the oil and gas industry has gone through so many challenges. You know, the idea of peak oil and it's all over and then boom, you know, the fracking revolution. Yeah, I remember. There's been so many and so many instances with that even in the past. So I look at this as that there's challenges and opportunities as well. Well, Dan, I certainly am, again, appreciative of you coming on and talking about this hot topic and uh, gives me a lot of hope knowing that there are people like you with your expertise to look at this and to try to bring the adults into the room and keep a level head about it because I think you really hit the nail on the head when you say there's extreme positions on both sides and we need to really come together and tackle this problem in a responsible way. So, you know, I'm thankful to uh, guys like you at All Consulting and at CSR. And and you mentioned the Well Done Foundation. Uh, They were actually a guest on a podcast several weeks ago, and I wish them a lot of success. I think their idea of and how they're handling it, I wish them all the success in the world and maybe hope that there's some other folks who uh, either join in with them or take up the same concept. Before we close this thing out, anything else you want to say? I would just say that, you know, there is a tremendous amount happening in this arena with new registries going up. We're getting ready to probably in October publish a best practices document funded by DOE and the Groundwater Protection Council on orphan and idle well plugging. So if anybody has any needs in that arena or questions or whatever, I would just say, you know, Russell, have them feel free to reach out to me. I'm happy to help and talk. And at least if nothing else can point somebody in the right direction. Well, and that's why that was actually the way I was going to close out the show. Tell everybody who's really interested in this topic to definitely reach out to you. And so as we close this thing out, as always, we want to thank all of you for listening. We've actually had, even in the dog days of summer, we had our best download month, I think, in June in the history of this show. So that's thanks to all of you out there listening. It's thanks to the uh, quality of guests that we have on the show and uh, certainly didn't have anything to do with the host. I know that. <laughs> as always, for those of you who are listening, please tell your friends to listen. Post us on LinkedIn, all your other social media. Leave us reviews on iTunes and Spotify. There's actually a review link in the show notes where you can leave reviews. Please tune in again next week for another episode of Knowledge Vine's Oil and Gas HSE podcast. Knowledge Vine is your dependable partner for full-service human performance and safety consulting. They were the first company to tie human performance to SIF precursors. So you can discover more about KnowledgeVine by finding in the show notes its website, link, and other contact information. Please reach out to me on LinkedIn for any show suggestions on topics or guests. And also, I think I mentioned on the last podcast, we're giving away copies of KnowledgeVine's Remedy book, which is, I had one very prominent HSE professional say it's the best book he's ever read on human performance. So if you'd like to get a copy of that, reach out to me on LinkedIn. And we'll see you next time. Tune in next week for another engaging episode of the Oil & Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network.
Learn more at OGGN.com.